Every team, every topic, everywhere, this is Believe. Before we get started with today's show, I want to tell you guys about betonline.ag. It's week three and a half in football, week four of college, week three in the pros. Let's put together a nice little parlay for the week. I'll take Ohio State at Notre Dame. Give me Ohio State money line. Give me the Ravens at minus nine and a half at home against the Colts. And then on Monday, give me the Cincinnati Bengals money line. First win of the season at home against the 2-0 Rams. You can put that parlay together and use our promo code BLEAV. That's B-L-E-A-V at Bet Online Sportsbook to get a 50% welcome bonus on your first deposit. You gotta use the link in the description to this episode. Bet Online, where the game starts. Hey, yo. Good morning, good evening, good afternoon, or good night. However, and whenever it is you may be listening, thank you for stopping into another fantabulous episode of the Take It Easy podcast live on the Believe Podcast Network. Except it isn't live because it is, as always, a podcast. Podcasts aren't live. That's the whole purpose of this podcast thing. You can listen however and whenever it is that you so choose. We appreciate that you have decided to stop in however and whenever it is that you may be choosing. You guys know what that beautiful, beautiful music means. It's time for another NFL Monday here on the Take It Easy podcast. And boy, have we got a good one coming at you today. 12 games around the league. Something interesting happened in almost every one. So later on in the show, we're just going to put together a little news and notes segment. Just little interesting thoughts about all the games. Maybe something that you'll take away and remember from this wonderful, wonderful podcast. I'm very excited to be sharing it with all of you and take a deep dive into the 12 NFL games that we saw on this here fine Sunday. So let's get this show on the road. First thing that has stuck out to me from this football Sunday, and this is one of those football Sundays where I watched the first part, went to go play basketball in the afternoon, ended up having work doing Sunday night football at the radio station. Uh, You know, we never are able to talk about Sunday night football on this podcast for reference Right now, it is 10-0 Dolphins against New England with 6.40 left to go in the second quarter. The Dolphins just punt, uh, just received a punt from the Patriots. So, like, doing Sunday Night Football analysis is usually difficult. Only if it's, like, the most special of special games will we end up waiting to do the Sunday Night Football analysis. But for the most part... It's hard to do Sunday night football because we have stuff going on. This is one of those weeks we had stuff going on. We're at work. We're doing uh, basketball or hanging out or whatever it is. And I wasn't as connected to the afternoon games this week. And I'm watching the 49ers-Rams game because that's the game that's on television and it's probably the best game of the week. But I saw the slate of games in the afternoon and I saw Rams-49ers. Okay, that's a one good game of the week. And by the way, it was a really good game. Puka Nakua, he ended up becoming a star right in front of our eyes. Most catches 
in the history of the NFL within a player's first two games, which is a byproduct of the offense. McVay wants to run with Matthew Stafford of short, quick completions because Puka Nakua has that Michael Thomas thing going on where he's got like 23 catches to start the season and only like 190 yards or something like that. And so that game was fun. Jake Moody hit a 57-yard field goal. It was awesome. And... I'm watching that game because it's entertaining, exciting, and actually a close game. Actually a pretty close contested game between the Niners and the Rams. And the Niners end up winning by seven points, which was the expected result. They were literally seven-point favorites going into that game. But the way we got there was actually pretty interesting. So you've got the Niners and you've got the Rams game. Then you've got Jets-Cowboys. Going into the week, I thought Jets-Cowboys would be pretty awesome. And then Aaron Rodgers tore his Achilles 105 seconds into the game. I know we didn't really have time to talk about the Aaron Rodgers injury here on the podcast because NFL Monday came out on Sunday. 24 hours later, Rodgers tears his Achilles. And then we had uh, Juju Talk Sports on the show on Wednesday another show with Juju on Friday and we didn't end up touching on the Rodgers thing even though we recorded on Tuesday morning I think and the Rodgers news had kind of come through so like there was a lot of funny around the Aaron Rodgers if you follow me on Twitter you saw the jokes that went viral if you follow me on Instagram you saw the one post we had that sports commentators talked for like 600,288 hours on Aaron Rodgers over the last eight months all for it to end in 105 seconds, which this is why we didn't talk about Aaron Rodgers on the podcast. I made this so painfully clear when the whole Rodgers, will he, won't he retire? Will he go to the Jets? Will he, won't he go to the Jets? Like the whole thing, even the hard knocks, because I've been out on hard knocks since about 2020. You guys have heard it on the podcast. I won't talk about hard knocks anymore. We did it in 2020 during the heart of the pandemic days. Nobody cares about your reviews of Hard Knocks. Nobody cares about the show like they used to. The people who do will find their pockets to chat with. It ain't going to be this little rinky-dink podcast because, God, I don't give a shit about Hard Knocks. Anyways, all of that is why we didn't talk about Aaron Rodgers. It happened to be that it ended in 105 seconds, but which was... By the way, so let's put this on the front end. It's really, really bad for Aaron Rodgers. I feel really bad that Rodgers has to go through this grueling Achilles rehab process, and this is how the second greatest quarterback in the NFL history statistically is going to end his career. And at the same time, it was really the most perfect way for that to go. On the fourth play of the game, God curses the New York Jets with a torn Achilles for Aaron Rodgers or whatever football deities you may worship. I don't know what the Jets did in a past life to deserve this, but the Jets just got the cruelest way for that whole Aaron Rodgers saga to go. Anyways, point being, Aaron Rodgers tore his Achilles, felt like I needed to bring that up on the show. Dallas Cowboys beat the crap out of the Jets because the Jets have Zach Wilson at quarterback, and they scored like 10 points, and seven of them were on a 68-yard touchdown from to Garrett Wilson, in which Garrett Wilson ran about 55 of those yards. And by the way, the only touchdown the Jets had in the game against the uh, Buffalo Bills on offense... The only offensive touchdown the Jets had was a bad pass by Zach Wilson that Garrett Wilson had to tip with his offhand away from the defender, catch with his second hand, pull it into his chest, and fall to the ground. So a bad pass by Zach Wilson 
leading to an incredible catch by Garrett Wilson. And then in this game, Garrett Wilson catching a slant pass and running 55 yards to the end zone are the only touchdowns the Jets have scored all season. The only two. And they lost by 20 points to the Cowboys. By the way, if you're looking for reference points of whether teams are good or bad, New York Jets, 1-1 one and one, with a point differential of negative 17. Las Vegas Raiders, also 1-1, one and one, point differential of negative 27. I guarantee you both of those teams will not be good this season, despite the fact that they have a better record than the Cincinnati Bengals, who also might not be good this year because Joe Burrow now has an injury in his uh, calf that is probably going to derail their season and they're already 0-2 and it's kind of a problem. I say all of that to say, afternoon games, not very good. Rams 49ers, only one worth watching, because the other two games are two football games that are classic, fourth game out of four on the NFL Red Zone afternoon block. You guys know exactly what I'm talking about. We've talked about it for years. If you see Broncos at home, if you see Cardinals at home, if you see Raiders at home, that is a classic fourth game out of four on the Red Zone that we wished would have been in the morning block because we could have ignored it the same way we ignored Houston and Indianapolis. That game existed. No one really cared because it got lost in the shuffle of eight games in the middle of the morning red zone. But it would be weird if you played a Denver Broncos game at Denver beginning at 11 o'clock a.m., so we got to put it in the fourth game out of four on the red zone in the afternoon. It keeps popping up on your screen. You hate when it pops up on your screen. Broncos, Cardinals, and Raiders play at home. You know that's a classic fourth game out of four on the NFL red zone. And so you had two of them as two of the four games this week. So I felt like, you know, we can kind of check out of this because not only is it Broncos and Cardinals, classic fourth game out of four on the red zone. It's Broncos and Commandos, two teams that in an NFL where it feels like there's gigantic amounts of parity in the middle this year, and there was last year too. There were six really good teams, there were four really bad teams, and everyone else was in the middle last year. In a sport that has like 20 teams that are all pretty similar to each other, I know that Washington and Denver are not good. I know that the Giants and the Cardinals are not good. So it's not just Broncos and Cardinals on the red zone getting blown out at home. It is also they're playing opponents that I do not wish to watch play football. And I am watching the 49ers and Rams with my roommate and her friend and another friend. And I see on the screen at halftime of the 49ers-Rams game that it's 21-0 Cardinals over the Giants. And then I look at the screen and it says 21-3 Broncos against Washington. And I'm thinking to myself, holy shit, the Broncos and Cardinals, fourth game out of four on the red zone, they are going to get shocking wins against teams that we know aren't very good, but I don't think we expected to be this bad. Again, the Cardinals should have beaten Washington last week. The Cardinals played a better football game than Washington. They lost at the end because of a couple turnovers, but they should have beat Washington last week. Washington 
then gets crushed by the Broncos, who I know are not talented enough to win seven games this year. I know that for a fact. The Broncos are not talented enough to win more than seven games. And they are beating the crap out of Washington. And you know how I said earlier, teams that you know aren't good, look at the Jets at 1-1 one and one, who have a point differential of negative 18. Look at the Raiders who are 1-1 one and one, who have a point differential of negative 27. Those are teams that I bet you are not very good. Not a lot of talent on their team. Won a one-possession game, then got blown out by a team that was much, much more skilled than them. In the case of the Jets, that was the Cowboys. In the case of the Raiders, that was the Buffalo Bills. Teams that we knew were good last year. You know how I said there were six good teams last year? Buffalo and, New England, uh, Buffalo and Dallas were two of those six teams. Those are the two teams that we know are very good. We know the Jets and Raiders are not very good. Look at Washington in that camp. Should have lost to Arizona, losing by 18 against the Denver Broncos, who I know are not good. So, Denver's beating the crap out of Washington. Arizona's beating the crap out of the Giants. I leave at halftime to go play basketball. Then I leave my basketball game, go to work, set up for Sunday night football, get my dinner, set everything up. It's about 6 o'clock when I'm getting ready to flip the microphone on here. And I see that the Arizona Cardinals lost 31-28 to against the New York Giants. A team, by the way, that at halftime of the second game of the season, in games where they played Dallas and Arizona, those two teams held the Giants to zero points. Daniel Jones, Saquon Barkley, run it back pack from a 9-7-1 or a 9-7-1 team from last year that we kind of knew was a fluke and just was the obligatory 7th playoff team in the NFC that had to get in because they had to send 7, but there were only 3.5 good teams in the NFC. The Giants, that team had 0 points in the first 6 quarters of the season. And I felt incredibly validated about telling you the Giants are not good. The Giants are not good. The Giants are not good. And guess what? They dropped 31 points on the Cardinals in the second half and came back to win. I still don't even know what happened. I just threw on the microphones to start doing this thing, and I thought to myself, wow, this fourth game out of four on the afternoon red zone... Is the Giants or is the Cardinals and the Broncos both dominating despite the fact that we know the Cardinals are actively tanking and we know the Denver Broncos are not good enough to win more than seven games? I still don't know how the Giants scored 31 points in the second half. I'm just laughing my ass off at the fact that the Giants scored 31 points in the second half to beat that Cardinals team. And I'm laughing my ass off at the fact that the 21-3 lead by the Denver Broncos at halftime against Washington evaporated. And Washington put up 30 points in the second half and beat the Broncos 33-31. to I remember two years ago, we, we fell in love with Sam Darnold for, for about two weeks at this time last year. Fell in love with Sam Darnold because Sam Darnold beat the Washington... Sam Darnold beat the Broncos, the Jets... And another crappy team. Like the combined record of the teams that had played Sam Darnold were 0 and 9. And the 
the Panthers were 3 and 0 and we knew the Panthers were not good. Oh, the Texans. The Texans was the third team that they played. And we made that parody song for Sam Darnold that I can play here. It's not very good anymore, but it's set to uh, Lil Nas X and Jack Harlow's Industry Baby with Sam Darnold. We made this parody song to Sam Darnold for this exact reason because the Carolina Panthers, who were 3-0, and were clearly frauds, but because they were 3-0, and people had to pretend to talk themselves into Sam Darnold being good. And that's exactly what Washington is right now. I know Washington sucks. I've seen it. I watched the Cardinals-Commanders game. Why did I watch that game? I don't know. I know the Washington racial slurs, and I'm still calling them the Washington racial slurs for the time being, even though Dan Snyder is now out. And I've said for years I would stop calling them the Washington racial slurs once Dan Snyder no longer owned the team. Washington is not good. I've seen the evidence that Washington is not good, and yet I looked up and somehow they came back from down 18 points against the Broncos. And for Broncos and Cardinals fans, I know I'm making fun of you a little bit here. If you want some serious Cardinals analysis, we're going to have Walter Mitchell and Joe Camo on sometime in the next couple weeks to talk about tanking and organizations choosing to tank but teams still trying to win and all that stuff. I know it sounds like I'm kicking you while you're down, making fun of you for being the fourth game out of four on the red zone, making fun of you for being a team that no one wants to watch but we're forced to watch if we want to watch NFL red zone, saying that neither of you are good enough to win seven games under any circumstances. I understand, but goddamn... It's like that meme that's like our expert expectations for you were low, but holy shit. That's what it feels like for the Broncos and Cardinals right now. Our expectations for you were low, but holy shit. Blowing 21 and 18 point leads simultaneously while both in your element. The fourth game out of four in a meaningless afternoon session of the red zone. Good lord, you guys. I feel so bad for you. And that's just my biggest takeaway of the week. I feel so bad for Broncos and Cardinals fans. I feel so bad. Our expectations for you were low. And then you came out and you just started beating the crap out of teams that we knew aren't that good. Washington, the Giants. And God damn it, you gave it away. That little sliver of hope led to blown leads. Our expectations for you were low, but shit, that is tough. My pocket's sitting so clean, they couldn't wait to come sack me. NYC was too flashy, y'all shouldn't have let gays draft me. Too late now, I went MIA, now I'm seeing ghosts and they scary. Sent Wilson back to NYC with that L and two intercepties. New York talking, we taking nose, throwing DJ Moore on them post. Falcons could, but we know they chose. Said his time was soon, but just like Oklahoma, mine is coming sooner. I'm just a late bloomer. I done peek at Essie, cause I got me your revenge tour. Hate these networks and computers, got me pages walking around like they some losers. I told you long ago on the road, I got what Jets fans waiting for. I'm seeing ghosts now, steal your souls, just like Belichick. Y'all were never really rooting for me anyways. Panthers apologies, you know I wanna hear you say He's seeing ghosts now, steal your souls Tell them the revenge tour on Yeah 
Sam Darnold Revenge Tour 2021. You know, in the past, that Sam Darnold parody song has been kind of burned in the the confines of the history of this podcast. It's not one that I necessarily bring to light because we've gotten a lot better at doing the parody songs over the years. That's just one of them that hasn't necessarily aged as well as I might like it to. But at the same time, it's nice to bring that out every once in a while, especially because it's been two years since we did the whole Sam Darnold thing. And uh, it reminds me of good times. Two years ago when we purposely made jokes about how Sam Darnold was this stud quarterback who had beaten a bunch of mid-teams. All of it was very silly and very fun. And, you know, putting it all together, it it was a unique little time in the history of this show. It was a a fun, unique time in the history of this podcast. So just wanted to to bring that one back to light a little bit. And uh, now let's talk about the the best football game of the weekend for my money. Uh, Just touch on it real briefly and do some real NFL analysis type stuff. Um, Seattle and Detroit was awesome. And I know that Detroit ended up losing the game, but... The two takeaways I have from Detroit at this point, and we kind of touched on this last week when we talked about it with Juju Talk Sports, so I won't go too deep into the Detroit part of it, but Detroit's offense is going to be able to keep up with anyone. Like, Jared Goff completed 80% of his passes in this game. He was 28 for 35. One of them he fed to, um, it was uh, Josh Reynolds. He fed a ball to Josh Reynolds into triple coverage by the Seahawks and it wasn't like Reynolds was covered by three people it was a zone with a linebacker who was dropping down a safety who was coming down to help on the crossing route like it was his zone and then I think you had the nickel corner who was kind of a roaming free safety so I guess it would have been a cover two situation but between three defenders Jared Goff was able to put this pass Right between all three, I mean, two were in front of the receiver, one was behind trying to knock it down from over Josh Reynolds' shoulder, but it was just one pass where I was like, man, that is a perfect precision pass by Jared Goff, and I know I'm used to seeing some of those passes from Goff, but I'm also used to Goff missing on those throws and the worst case scenario happening with a tipped pass that gets intercepted. Look, Jared Goff did have one of those passes that was tipped and intercepted today, but I'm used to seeing it much more often. From Jared Goff. Goff completed 80% of his passes, 323 yards, three touchdowns, an interception. Uh, Jared Goff, so far this season, I think has the highest passer rating in, of any NFC quarterback. I'm looking it up right now. In this game, he had a 121 against Seattle. He had a 94 against Kansas City for the season. He's sitting at 109. And I know it's a small sample size, but. Jared Goff is playing incredible football right now, and they have enough skill position players and uh, a strong enough offensive line. I know Taylor Decker was out for this game, but a strong enough offensive line to be able to compete with any team in the league. And I thought the Kansas City game was a good reference point for what Detroit was, which was they should have lost that game. Kansas City beat themselves. I don't know if you watched any of the Kansas City-Jacksonville game today. I saw it pop up on the red zone, and it was a pretty sloppy game altogether just from both sides of the ball were playing sloppy on offense. I think Trevor Lawrence was 
one of the worst passer ratings of the week among quarterbacks. They kicked three field goals at the end. Yeah, Trevor Lawrence had a 68 passer rating today, completed 53% of his passes, no touchdowns, no interceptions. Like one of the worst passer ratings of the day from Trevor Lawrence. And Trevor Lawrence, who, by the way, fun fact, I just saw this news story when I Googled the stats. Trevor Lawrence is going to settle FTX crypto fraud lawsuit. Uh, Trevor Lawrence, who took his entire rookie paycheck in cryptocurrency, he ended up getting sued as part of the FTX uh, bankruptcy lawsuit. And it looks like Trevor Lawrence is going to settle as one of the major proponents of cryptocurrency when that was a whole thing. And if he didn't cash out on his crypto, his $35 million rookie contract would be worth approximately $11 million right now. Trevor Lawrence may or may not have gambled away $20 million of his NFL earnings. Anyways, besides the point, Trevor Lawrence, one of the worst passing performances of the day. Like, I don't know if you saw that game, but Kansas City won that game because Kansas City did not have as many back-breaking mistakes as they had against Detroit. A pick six going through Kadarius Tony's hands that leads to a 10-point swing. Tony dropping the pass that would have set up the game-winning field goal for Butker at the end of the first game of the season. Uh, Sky Moore dropping the 4th and 22 that would have converted a first down. A penalty that took away a big play to Marquez Valdez-Scantling. Like, if Kansas City doesn't make two of those seven mistakes, they end up winning that game against Detroit. But Detroit still held their own against a team that is clearly one of the two best in the NFL. And... In this game against Seattle, who I think is on equal footing to Detroit at this point, both of them are going to be playoff teams. I think there's a scenario where Seattle and Detroit are meeting in the playoffs. If Detroit wins the NFC North at 9-8 and eight or 10-7, and seven, and they end up getting the three seed, and they end up getting a matchup against the six seed, which is the Seattle Seahawks, I think that could be a playoff matchup like a rematch of this game and Detroit's offense can keep up with pretty much anyone at this point. That's my takeaway from them. And on the Seattle front, I mean, Seattle has so many different weapons they can hit you with. And this was one of those games where they got back to the quote unquote basics. I know Shane Waldron likes running that zone running scheme that comes from the McVay system, but he doesn't necessarily have the personnel to match up with a true zone running scheme. So what they did today was that they had a lot of short, quick completions to um, Tyler Lockett and Metcalf went out for a little bit, but Metcalf was involved in there. Jackson Smith and Jigba had a few catches. Um, the, the tight end from the University of Miami, whose name I'm blanking on right now, he had uh, a chunk play, tw- uh, 40-something yard catches at Mallory, I want to say his name is, Will Mallory. Um, oh, no, Colby Parkinson is who I was thinking of. I think Mallory plays for someone else, but Colby Parkinson had a big chunk play that led to, uh, I think it was like a 35-yard play that set up a Kenneth Walker touchdown. The Seahawks went back to what I like to call um, Pete Carroll doing the rip a heater and tell Kenneth Walker, call the play of Kenneth Walker, do cool shit. That was kind of what they did for a lot of the game. Rip a cigarette and say, Kenneth Walker, do cool shit. And Kenneth Walker does that. But they went back to more Kenneth Walker short completions in the middle of the field. They had a turnover of the the Lions on the first play of the second half, which was really useful given that they got outscored, I think, 28-0 in the second half of the Rams game in week one. So 
having that work out in their favor was very, very helpful. It was only 23-0, so it, was, it wasn't 28-0. It was only 23-0 that they got outscored in the second half against the Rams. But getting a turnover that immediately leads to a, I think that was the, I want to say that was Walker's second touchdown. So getting a fumble on the first play of the second half that leads to a Walker touchdown turned the tides for the Seahawks a bit. And for all the people who were panicking about the Seahawks getting smoked out the building by the Rams, which we talked about last week with Geno and the Seahawks, like the Seattle Seahawks are still going to be a really good team. And that's the thing that I talked about with Juju is like small sample size on the Seahawks feels prevalent because one, the Rams might actually be an okay team. We're starting to see that given the performance they put up against the 49ers that the Rams might be in that group trying to make it to the NFC playoffs as like the sixth or seventh seed in a conference that only has three and a half good teams. The Seahawks are actually going to be really good. And watching the end of that game against the the Lions where they were up 31-21 and the Lions stormed back to tie the game and then Seattle won it on the first drive of overtime. It was very exciting. It was high scoring. Kenneth Walker is showing why Kenneth Walker was one of the greatest running backs and most skilled running backs in the history of college football. Getting him involved in the offense was like transformative for the Seahawks, like night and day between what that team looked like in the second half of the 49ers playoff game, what they looked like against the Rams, to today. Getting Kenneth Walker involved, which set up a lot of short completions by Geno Smith was just a night and day transformation for that Seahawks offense and it was really interesting to watch even though Kenneth Walker only averaged two and a half yards per carry for the game he was the leading rusher of the entire game I believe no David Montgomery had more than him but uh was the leading was the second leading rusher in the entire game um I'm looking at the stats here you have one two three four five six seven eight different Seahawks who had at least two catches in the game, and that doesn't even include Kenneth Walker. He only had one catch, but you had three different tight ends who combined for 122, oh, sorry, 132 yards receiving, 132 yards receiving on nine catches between Noah Fant, Colby Parkinson, Will Disley running two tight ends with Lockett and Metcalf, or when Metcalf went out of the game, Lockett and Jackson Smith and Jigba, or even running the three wide two tight end formations and running the spread offense across the middle of the field. Transformative for the Seahawks, especially when they are able to run the football deep in the other opponent's territory like they were able to do against a Detroit defense that I don't think is very good, but appears to be not getting run out of the gym like they were last year. Harry Douglas, Arthur Blank, Dante Fowler, Michael Vick, Devin Hester, Hayden Hurston, Caleb McGarry. Tack McKinley, Deion Sanders, Michael Turner, Grady Jarrett, Austin Hooper, Tevin Coleman, Tony Gonzalez. Work done, Brent Grimes, Kyle Pitts, Desher Font, left which Julio, mascot has creepy eyes, Darren Holland, KZ, gambling Calvin Ridley, AJ Terrell, Duran Harmon, Russell Gage, Vic Beasley, we're the Atlanta Falcons. We're always flying and we keep on trying. We're the Atlanta Falcons. We keep blowing leads, but we try to fight it. 
Steven, Jackson, Casey, Hayward, Dan, Quinn, and Shanahan, Jake, Matthews, Drake, London, Fabian, Moreau, Mike, Davis, Ito, Smith, Devonta, Freeman's Pro Bowl, Jackies, Rogers, Asante, Samuel, Young, Way, Dean, Pease, Mike Smith had a winning team, Henry Crockett, Petrino, Mariota, Netflix, Deion Jones, Tajay Sharpcourt, Daryl is a running back, Chris Lindstrom, D'Angelo Hall, some dude named Zacchaeus, we're the Atlanta Falcons, we're always flying and we keep on trying, we're the Atlanta Falcons, we keep blowing leads but we try to fight it. Dirty Bird, bring it back, Roddy White and Alex Mack, all for Luke McCown, Super Bowl prostitutes, Justin Hardy, Matt Schaub, Atlanta Braves, baseball beat with an onside kick, Dirt Cutter's an idiot. Corey Peters, Richie Grant, Jesse Bates' contract, Bijan Mustard, Super Bowl's a no-go, Maddie Ice's MVP, Mike Pinnell, Matt Hennessy, Dwight Freeney, Toy Lolo, don't score that ball, Todd Gurley, we're the Atlanta Falcons, we're always flying and we keep on trying, we're the Atlanta Falcons, we keep blowing leads but we try to fight it. Hell yeah! Is the NFC South the best division in all of the NFL? We've got 2-0 Atlanta Falcons, who by the way, you know how I said earlier, Raiders probably not good because they're 1-1 with a point differential of negative 27. And you've got the uh, Jets who are 1-1 one, uh, one with a point differential of like negative 17. Uh, if you're looking for another team that just might be fraudulent, Atlanta Falcons, 2-0, 17-point differential. Not them. The Atlanta Falcons just might be the best team in all of the NFC. 2-0 on the season with the best point differential by a team not named the San Francisco 49ers. The Tampa Bay Buccaneers, 2-0 on the season, dominating against the Chicago Bears, who are probably not good, and dominating against the Minnesota Vikings, who are probably also not good. Oh my gosh, just uh, if the Saints beat the Carolina Panthers on Monday, you've got three 2-0 teams in the NFC South. People, the NFC South might be the best division in all of the NFL. Just everyone was crapping on them, saying that every team was going to be 7-10. and 10. This might be the best division in all of football, folks. The NFC South is out here whooping ass and taking names. Falcons whooped the Panthers' ass in Week 1, beat the Packers, and held Jordan Love to a non-impressive like I mean Jordan Love was fine I don't want to say totally non-impressive but compared to the Jordan Love who averaged 16 yards per completion in the first game of the season against the Chicago Bears this was pittance pittance against AJ Terrell and the Falcons defense Falcons ended up holding the Green Bay Packers to 24 points and winning on a young way coup field goal shouts out to the Atlanta Falcons, and shout out to you, Tampa Bay Buccaneers, a team that is also probably fraudulent, but who gives a shit because you are 2-0 against teams 
that are 0-4 and are probably headed for top 10 picks in the Chicago Bears and Minnesota Vikings. Two teams that have proven to you through week two, if you're a fan of those teams, no need to get your hopes up. They gave you eight days to tell you that this season is not happening. Vikings gave it to you early, Bears gave it to you early, and that slap in the face that tells you your team is not good is losing against the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. Speaking of Minnesota Vikings, it's that time of the week again. It's time to award our Philip Rivers Memorial Kirk Cousins Purgatory Award. And you know who the award is going to this week. If you watched Thursday Night Football, of which a lot of you probably did, it was the highest rated Thursday Night Football game since Amazon took over the broadcasts a couple years ago. If you were watching the game, you knew that Kirk Cousins and the Vikings, although there was very little chance that they would end up winning that game, there was almost a guaranteed chance that they would end up down six, no timeouts, with one minute to play, needing to travel the length of the field. And by golly, they did exactly that. After trailing 30 to, seven, uh, 30 to 17, the Vikings scored a late touchdown to make it 30 to 24. The Eagles could not get the first down that would have closed out the game, although they got very close. They punted back to the Minnesota Vikings, who were downed at the 15-yard line. And Kirk Cousins had to go 85 yards with no timeouts. 15 seconds left to play, trailing by six points. It is inevitable. It's why Kirk Cousins has taken the mantle from Phillip Rivers. A true Kirk Cousins purgatory situation to the T was executed this week by the man, the myth, the legend himself. Over the last three seasons of which we have been keeping track of Kirk Cousins purgatory, Kirk Cousins has found himself in such a situation now 16 times. His opponents have been in that situation four times. Kirk Cousins' last three games played have all ended in Kirk Cousins' purgatory. If we go back further, that would be five of the last seven games played by Kirk Cousins have ended in Kirk Cousins' purgatory. Some combination of down six points, one minute to play, no timeouts needing to go the length of the field. And Kirk Cousins has won two of those games, but he's also lost three of them. The Vikings are left with little hope for the rest of the season. But one way or another, Kirk Cousins is the new Phillip Rivers, perpetually finding himself down by six with no timeouts, 15 seconds to go, needing to go 85 yards. Your Kirk Cousins Purgatory Award for week number two. Winning the award for the third consecutive week, going back to wildcard last year, is the man himself, Kirk Cousins.
Ladies and gentlemen, thank you for stopping in here to the Take It Easy podcast and to our NFL Monday. We knocked out almost every game here on the show today. Sorry, Chargers and Titans, you're getting cut at the end. Also, one other fun stat to weave in here. Uh, at halftime of the Colts and Texans game, both Anthony Richardson and Gardner Minshew recorded two touchdowns each, which was tied for the most touchdowns recorded in any game of the morning block in the first half. Anthony Richardson and Gardner Minshew each had two touchdowns against that absolutely crap Texans defense. Did they only score three points in the second half? Yes, they did. Did it matter at all? No, it did not. They won by 11 points in a completely forgettable game that continues to prove the Houston Texans are in year four of a five-year rebuild. And it's a good thing the Texans still have their draft pick for next year, right? 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 Anyways, ladies and gentlemen, thanks for stopping into the show. We've got two more episodes coming at you this week. We've got an episode about Kevin Porter Jr. that we built out, a long-form conversation. You'll hear that on Wednesday. And uh, Thursday, we'll just have to wait and see what ends up coming here on the Take It Easy podcast. But we've got four episodes from last week you can tune into. Any and all support is greatly appreciated. We'll talk to you again on Wednesday. And in the meantime, take it easy. Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube.